Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Matthew chapter 26, and in verse 25, He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So so uh, Judas here leaves the supper. Now, when, when it gets to the part, if you go back to Matthew 26, when it gets to the, the part of the meal where Christ is... Uh, sharing the, the bread and the cup with his disciples, and he talks about the bread being his body and, and the uh, cup being his blood, uh, the New Testament in his blood, Judas isn't there with them anymore. Jesus tells, tells Judas to go, and Judas is going to... The next time we see Judas, he's coming back um, to point out, who Christ, you know, point out Christ with a kiss to the... Uh, the officials that are coming there to arrest him. So he isn't there for this this time of close fellowship that they have here with the, the bread and the cup. Um, back in Matthew 26, you can see verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, these disciples, you know, when the, when the woman comes and, and anoints Christ with the ointment, uh, he says it's for my burial. Here he's talking about his body and his blood. Uh, of course, he had told them before about uh, it being required that someone eat his body and drink his blood, right? And, and many people were offended at that. Um, but here he talks about the, the New Testament and his blood. He says that he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine with them again until he's in the, the Father's kingdom. Right, so he's he's obviously preparing them for something, but they still seem to sort of sort of uh, oblivious to what's going on here. And of course, you know, by this time he's been talking about his death to them, but every time he he brings it up, it's just they don't they don't understand what he's talking about. Um, they they leave that supper and they go out into the garden and and 
we aren't going to read all of the details there, but you're probably familiar with how uh, he takes Peter and James and John, and he asks them to watch while he goes and, and prays, and they keep falling asleep, right? And and you have just this this account of um, really this this uh, close fellowship between Christ and the Father as he prays there in the garden, and he prays that if there's any way for this cup to pass from him, you know, but but then he subjects his will to the will of God the Father, because there was no other way. God had a purpose in that death of Christ, and there was no other way for God to provide salvation for for Israel or for mankind uh, without the death of Christ. And and you see that you really see the humanity of Christ on display there. Christ as a man did not want to go to the cross. He did, he didn't you know that wasn't something he looked forward to. Um, he asks if there's any way for that cup. The cup he's talking about is the the cup of the wrath of God that he would experience uh, on the cross of Calvary. And you see him there express that it's really not his will to go to the cross, but you see him subjecting his will to the will of the Father. You see Christ saying, not my will, but thine be done. And uh, it's also there in the garden where you have Christ referring to God the Father as Abba. And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul tells tells us as believers that uh, because of the, the Spirit dwelling in us, because of the, the adoption of sons, that we can cry, Abba, Father. We can, we can have that same kind of relationship uh, with the Father that Christ displays there in the garden that night before His crucifixion. And um, when, when they come to arrest Christ, verse 47, it says, While He yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And uh, describes how... how uh, one of the disciples, it's really Peter, uh, takes his sword and tries to tries to uh, defend Christ. He strikes the the servant of the high priest and cuts off his ear. Right here again, uh, the Gospel of John fills in some details for us that we don't get anywhere else, and um, this time in John chapter eighteen. Verse 4, Jesus therefore, knowing all these things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he, and Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now, remember that Christ had said that no man was going to take his life from him, 
that he was going to give it of himself. He would lay down his life. And he makes it clear here that it, it's not, they aren't, they aren't arresting him by overpowering him, right? He is going with them willingly. And, you know, and even, even when Peter goes to, to defend him, uh, he, he rebukes Peter and he heals the guy's ear that Peter cut off, uh, because, first of all, Christ didn't need anybody to defend him. Right? Just by saying, I am he, they all fall on the ground. They get back up and then he goes with them. Um, he didn't need anybody to, to defend him. Uh, if, you know, if he needed to be defended, he was perfectly able to do that himself. But he was going to lay down his life. And, and so he willingly goes with them. You have, throughout that night, you have various trials. He, he's kind of, Shuffled back and forth to, uh, to various places to, to be judged. And it's the very next day that the Lord Jesus Christ is put to death on the cross of Calvary. And so skipping ahead into chapter 27 of the, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the, the trials here continue into chapter 27. Uh, one, one, uh, Interesting note, if you look at verse 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, this is Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Now, uh, at the at the meal, when Judas had asked if it was him that was going to betray Christ, Christ said almost exactly the same thing. Thou hast said. And here, you know, Pilate, Pilate, uh, asks him if he's the king of the Jews, and he says, Thou sayest. And uh, Pontius Pilate is is almost portrayed here in the Gospels as being somewhat somewhat reluctant uh, to participate in the killing of Christ. Um, it's you know it's hard to tell exactly what his motivations were. Historically Pontius Pilate was known to be a very brutal man, not not somebody who showed a lot of reluctance uh, about killing innocent people, but um, he he has some reluctance here. Uh, it seems with Christ, but he he uh, cooperates with what the the Jewish leaders want. But uh, the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ is placed there on the on the cross of Calvary. If you see in verse thirty five, it says, "And they crucified him." and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now, the the quote there is from the 22nd Psalm. And let's just turn over there, because the, the 22nd Psalm gives us a lot of insight into what's going on on the cross of Calvary. Psalm 22. Now understand that Psalm 22 is written by King David. This is uh, a long time before the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, and yet you have, you have all kinds of things in this Psalm that point directly to the cross. Uh, you see the very first words, my God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And, you know, those are the words that Christ says on the cross. He, he says them in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, Lava, Sabachthani. Um, he uh, calls out to God. And what's going on there is that because the Lord Jesus Christ on, on the cross is in a different, he's in a different situation than he'd ever been during his incarnation. Because what the scripture says is that God made him to be sin for us. And that's what Christ is on, on that cross. He is the embodiment of sin. He, he doesn't just, it's not just as if our, our sin is somehow placed uh, on Christ, an innocent man, but he becomes sin. He actually becomes guilty uh, for that sin. It says he was made to be sin. So that, for instance, you know, one of the symbols uh, from the Old Testament that, that is applied to Christ is the serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. Well, how could a serpent ever represent Christ? I mean, a lamb can represent Christ. Why would a serpent represent Christ? Because he was made to be sin. And that's what a serpent, the serpent represents, the devil's sin. And he, he calls out there on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God the Father, in, in righteousness, forsook Christ on the cross of Calvary. You see? And that cup that Christ talked about the night before his death was that cup of the wrath of God. The, the important thing about the cross is not how brutal Roman crucifixion was. Very brutal thing, but many, many people in history suffered brutality at the hands of the Romans and other people. Okay? That's not the, what's special about the death of Christ. The, the real suffering of Christ, even beyond just, just the physical suffering of Roman crucifixion, was that he suffered the wrath of God. He suffered the judgment of God for sin. The judgment that you and I deserve. The judgment that, that you know, every person deserves for sin laid on one man and Christ suffered that on the cross. And he calls out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If we continue um, reading here in Psalm 22, Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. That word worm, if you think about uh, where that where that word is used in the Bible. Um, you may think about the, the passages that talk about hell, and it says, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And you think about uh, a passage like that describing the guilty sinner suffering the judgment of God. That's what, that's what Christ, this is really Christ speaking here in Psalm 22. And that's what he's talking about when he says, I am a worm and no man. In fact, the specific worm that is, is talked about is a, is a, a beetle larva that was used, it was crushed in, in the Old Testament to create a, a dye, a red dye, scarlet dye. You think about all the symbolism there. 
um, you know, where where uh, this worm would be would be crushed to dye something red, uh, where we're told about Christ that though our sins are as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. See? Um, he says, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb, thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. And you see there how, how Christ, at the same time that he's, that he's saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's also able to look beyond that suffering that he's going through to the, to the, the deliverance and really to the resurrection and, and glorification that comes later. And, and actually, if you read the rest of Psalm 22, that's what it focuses on. I see. Uh, Christ, Christ endured the, the suffering because of the glory that was set before him. And he could look past that, past that suffering, to, to what it would accomplish and to his eventual glorification. Now, if we go back to Matthew then, and, and so this, you know, these events of Matthew 27 are the central, I mean, this is the, the, the central event of all of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's that hour that Christ so often talked about. You know, there are periods early in his ministry when he said, my hour is not yet come. And uh, one of the things that he prayed then to the Father was, you know, he said, he basically said, should I, should I ask you to save me from this hour? It was for this hour that I came to the earth. Right? And this is the hour it's talking about here is that payment is made. And with Christ's death, the payment is complete. Now, now the, you know, the work isn't complete. There's, I mean, there's his resurrection yet to come, but the payment for sin is complete there at the cross. Um, there, there are some people out there today that teach this idea that after the crucifixion that Christ, um, went, went into hell, which he did. Um, certainly the scripture describes his soul being in hell, but they teach that he, that he suffered more in hell between his death and, and uh, resurrection to continue paying for sins. You don't find any of that in the Bible, though. Uh, it's this, the idea is called, the, it's called the devil ransom theory, that Christ had to somehow pay some ransom to the devil to deliver sinners. Christ didn't have to pay anything to the devil here. It's not the devil that's being paid, it's God the Father that's being paid. 
All right? And, and now where Christ is between his death and resurrection, his soul is in hell, but he's not in, he's not in torments in hell. Okay? Um, he is there, I mean, there are verses that describe him preaching to the spirits in prison, that, that kind of thing. But he's not in torments in hell uh, after his death on the cross. The payment is complete with his crucifixion on the, on the cross of Calvary. And, um, of course, the, the story isn't complete without also mentioning the resurrection. And that brings us into chapter 28 of Matthew. Um, the, you know, it's somewhat, it's somewhat interesting that, that the disciples seem so ignorant of, of Christ's death and also his resurrection because the people who put him to death, they were very much aware of the fact that he had said he was going to rise again. Right? And they even take precautions. They're worried that his disciples are going to steal the body to, to make it look like he rose again. And they take precautions to guard the tomb and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so, so they were aware of what he had been teaching. The, the disciples seemed to be ignorant of it. Even after his death, they're, it's like they're, they're ready to give up and go home because they say, we thought, we thought he was the Messiah, you know, even when they're, when they're talking with him there on the road to Emmaus and uh, they don't recognize him. They, it's like, it's like, I guess, I guess it's all over. We don't have anything to do now, you know. Um, they weren't, they certainly weren't looking for his resurrection. Uh, and when people started to report that he wasn't there, you know, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of, um, uh, unbelief about that. And it's really not until they all see him Together, you know, then then they remember. Then they remember the things that he said about his resurrection. But you can see here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, um, I mentioned about the Passover and Christ's death being in connection with the Passover. You know, the, there were three feasts that came in close succession there uh, in the in the Jewish religious calendar. You have the Passover, then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And leaven in the Bible is a, a symbol of sin. So unleavened bread, they had to put the leaven out of their homes, a picture of the putting away of sin, which um, would would uh, in a lot of ways symbolize the the burial of Christ, uh, you know, they take Christ bears sin in his flesh, they take that body down off the cross, they put it into the tomb, now when he rises from the dead, he's not bearing sin anymore, it's been put away, and uh, you bury something to put it out of sight, and that's where the sin that Christ paid for was left, it was left out of sight. Um, the, the third feast, the third of the spring feast was the Feast of First Fruits. And that symbolizes the resurrection of Christ. He becomes the first fruits of them that slept. And the, the uh, Feast of First Fruits comes on, the, the uh, scripture would describe it as coming the morrow after the Sabbath. Alright? And you see, here Mary Magdalene is, is coming to the, to the, uh, tomb 
in the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. This would be the day of the Feast of First Fruits when she comes to the tomb. And she comes to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And um, the, the angel comes there and rolls back the door, not so that Christ can get out. Okay, The angel doesn't come and let Christ out of the tomb. Christ is already gone from the tomb. The angel rolls the stone away from the door so that the women can see in and see that he's not there anymore. And um, they come, you know, word gets back to the to the other disciples, and eventually they they all see him and realize that Christ is risen. And and the resurrection just seals the deal. You know, if Christ if Christ I mean first of all, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he wasn't who he said he was, and he wasn't able to do what he said he was able to do. Because he said he would lay his life down, okay? You and I can do that. We can lay our life down. But he said he would take his life back up again. And you and I can't do that. Uh, Christ did do that. He took his life up again. He, he rose from the dead. And the scripture says that if, if Christ be not raised, says our faith is in vain, preaching is in vain, uh, it says that, that um, we're yet in our sins. and because, because if he didn't rise from the dead, then his death didn't accomplish what he said it would accomplish. But Christ did rise from the dead, and so our faith isn't vain, and our preaching isn't vain, and we're not yet in our sins if we've trusted in the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the... The uh, Gospel of Matthew ends here with the Lord then sending out His disciples. In verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now you have to remember, these are not the marching orders for, for the church of the body of Christ. Okay, the church of the body of Christ is, is nowhere in view here yet. The church is still a mystery here at this point. This is a continuation of that kingdom program. And so these kingdom disciples here, or, or kingdom apostles, are sent out. They're uh, essentially teaching the same message that John the Baptist taught even before Christ came on the scene, which is to repent and be baptized. And they're continuing to uh, to preach that, preach repentance to, to Israel. Uh, here, while he says to go and teach all nations, if you you know if you compare that with over in, in Acts chapter one, um, what you see is that began with Israel. Eventually they would get to all nations in that kingdom program, but it began with Israel. And um, they, they're to go out there to uh, continue that same baptism, 
The same baptism of John is what, what they continue on early into the book of Acts. And they're to go and, and teach not, not some new information that Christ would reveal to them, but to teach all things whatsoever I have commanded you, um, which is the keeping of the law, the, the uh, instructions for the kingdom. All right? And so that's where, you, that's where uh, Matthew leaves off, is with those disciples sent out to go and, and kind of move into the next phase of that kingdom message, the, the uh, preaching of that kingdom. Uh, and we see that carry over then into the book of Acts. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for these things from your word. We thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son and, and all that it accomplished. We, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us. Uh, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We thank you in His name. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.